Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. Today, we're delving into the fascinating intersection of art, science, and the human experience, an important topic that affects us by enriching our understanding of the world and ourselves. Joining us today is Professor Kim Morgan. Now, she's an esteemed artist and professor at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. Kim is known for her interdisciplinary work that spans sculpture installation and public art, often collaborating with experts in various fields. Today, we're going to explore the inspiration behind her latest art exhibit. It's called Blood and Breath and Skin and Dust. Currently, it's on display at The Rooms. Now, I was fortunate enough to be a part of the new dialogue and debate sessions held at The Rooms by Memorial University alumni engagement recently. Here, we delved into how this artwork intersects with our various fields. Particularly, I spoke from a perspective of medicine and science, while my colleague, Dr. Jennifer Dyer, spoke from a gender studies, art, and of course, a personal perspective. Art is an incredible way we can express ourselves. So today we're going to uncover how personal experiences and the innovative use of medical technologies have informed Kim's artistic processes. Let's dive into how art can teach us about our health and also make us understand more about this incredible machine we call our body with professor and artist Kim Morgan. Hi, Professor Morgan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mike. Please call me Kim and thank you for having me today. Oh, I couldn't wait to chat with you, actually, because I was privy to be able to see your most recent art exhibit, but this is definitely not your first. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and your background? Yes, absolutely. So as you said, I'm a professor. I teach at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. I'm also an artist, and it depends on the day which one comes first. And I teach in sculpture installation and public art. I was born and raised in Saskatchewan, but my education and work has taken me to places to many parts of the world and has enabled me to see, experience, and learn from other cultures. I've been exhibiting as an artist for over 25 years now. And the show that you saw, that was the second time that it's been shown. So my practice is interdisciplinary and a lot of times it's collaborations with people from other disciplines. Sometimes it ends up in an exhibition space, like a gallery or a museum, and sometimes it ends up in public space. So multimedia, interdisciplinary collaborations, that's kind of my methodology of working. That's fantastic. And by the time we finish this interview, I'm going to encourage everybody to go and check out this art exhibit because it's just so incredible. And we're going to get into some of the specific pieces that you've had in there, why you created them and what they've elicited inside of you. But really, I think the biggest question is, you're obviously extremely talented at this, but how did you find your passion for art? How did that come to you? Yeah, family. <laughs> My grandfather was an artist and he taught me from the time I was very, very young, like five or six. He put me on a stool beside him and I learned how to draw. And my mother was a musician, a violinist and an opera singer. And we were subjected, exposed to artists from a very young age. So I really developed a passion for it at a very young age. So it's your family, through my childhood. Yeah. It's so interesting. My grandfather was a professional artist. My grandmother was a silk screening artist on the other side. And I kind of grew up in that too. And it does create an appreciation for it that you may not get if you're not exposed to it. And that's one of the things about public exhibits is it allows people to be able to see art in different ways. One of the things that I think is really incredible about what you do is that you take your artistic lens and then you apply it to something, something for like, for example, with me, that's very familiar is health. Can you explain how you combine these different fields of study with what you do? Absolutely. I have a formal training. I have a couple of degrees in, in art. 
but my first degree is in literature. So that has influenced the way I look at art and the way I make art. And when I was a graduate student, I was artist in residence at a research lab called TR Labs, where I was working with software engineers, mechanical engineers, computer scientists, biologists. And they hired me for a very short time to see what I could do with their research. And I wanted to make public art with some of the research that they were working with. So it meant that I needed to understand what they did, see how it could apply to what I did, and find a middle ground and a middle language. And it was the first time I was working like that. And I thought, well, if we could take some of this research that's kind of new and kind of hard to understand, and if I could use art to make it accessible to myself and maybe the public, and then place it somewhere outside of the lab, outside of a gallery space, into the public space, then then maybe other people would find it interesting as well. And, and that's what I did. And it was the first kind of interdisciplinary collaboration that I pursued. And that was in 2004, I guess. And it was so successful that they hired me <laughs> to be the artist in residence for about five years, I guess. And, and we did some very successful large projects. So I learned a methodology of working and I applied this to future collaborations. So that was looking at art, science and technology. And the other thing it did for me as an artist is that it gave me access to technologies that I wouldn't be able to have access to, like imaging technology, AF, atomic force microscopes, lab technology that I wouldn't have access to as an artist, funding that I wouldn't have access to as an artist. And so I, I really found this to be a really interesting way to work and, and successful. And so when I moved out east to Nova Scotia, I started to get interested in the medical field. And I had started to work with some medical researchers while I was still living in Saskatchewan at that time. But it was only in Nova Scotia that I had access to medical imaging technologies plus uh, students and researchers at the medical school here at Dalhousie University. It's almost a perfect segue, really, to how I got to know your work, and that's through the new exhibit, and that's called Blood and Breath and Skin and Dust. And this is such an interesting thing, because I think some people think about art, they think about it in that traditional sense of what art is. But for me, this was something that incorporates the human body and science and microscopes and technology, all those things you were just talking about, and then combines them into this artistic endeavor that really explains a lot of the stuff that's happening inside the body. Was your inspiration for starting that project from the work that you were getting exposed to when you went to Dalhousie? So it started again with family. My mother was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2014, and my father had also been diagnosed with lung cancer at the same time. So I was spending a lot of time in hospitals, a lot of time in blood transfusion centers, and because my mother liked art as well. We would walk up and down the corridors looking at the art. We became very familiar with the spaces of the hospital. And I thought, wow, it'd be really interesting if we could put some kind of relevant art in the hospital spaces or in the blood clinics. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't even know what that art might look like. And at the same time, my mother was having a lot of blood transfusions and I was spending a lot of time with her. And I thought, I wonder what blood would look like underneath a microscope. And I and I was wondering like blood relations and blood ties. And could you see that underneath a microscope looking at blood? There's a lot of fallacies around blood. There's a lot of fear around blood. 
There's a lot of fear around the body and disease. And I thought, what an interesting material to work with and could I do something with it? So that was in 2014. And I was commuting back and forth between Saskatchewan and Nova Scotia to be with my parents. And there was a Humanity Heals art residency at the medical school. And I put a proposal in to research blood, to use medical imaging to look at blood and to see if I could get some of the medical students to participate in this kind of research. And lucky me, they accepted my proposal. And at the same time, I, I went to the pathology and hematology department at the IWK and spoke to a couple doctors there. And they invited me in to do an observership. So every Wednesday, I would go with the hematology residents and look at blood underneath the microscope that way. And I basically just listened to them to, to, to hear their observations and what they were looking at. And that lasted for a year, but it started a project that I called Blood Work. And then through my residency, I had access to scanning electron microscopes, transmission electron microscopes, and I started to see blood in a new way. What's the magnitude of this? Because you're looking at the most finite portions of blood when you're looking through one of these microscopes, correct? Yes, exactly. So the magnification of the work I was doing is anywhere from 8,000 to 25,000 times. So when you look at blood at that level, it's no longer a liquid. And of course, there's preparation. And also, I'm learning how to scan. So I'm working with the technician. They're teaching me how to scan my own samples. They're teaching me how to prepare my own samples. And so that's super interesting for me and all the mistakes that I make. But what it is is quite awesome Yeah, to see blood magnified at that scale. It, it, it's an amazing, beautiful form. It becomes something different. And it didn't look like the little red donuts that you see animations. Uh, it, it had character. And so I started to think of it individually. I started to think of blood as a portrait. So at this point, I was just doing my blood. And I wanted to ask for volunteers or donors who would give me a sample of their blood and come into the lab and look at the samples together with me. So through this residency, there were volunteer medical students that came into the lab, and then there were artists and family members, and I started to collect this universal blood group because they agreed that I could use the images, it was all volunteer, and I also had them fill out information, ethnicity, sexual orientation, blood types, medical history. This was all volunteer. And what I was trying to do was build up this kind of library and collection, not only of images, but different kinds of donors, because I was going to use this work in my art, which you see in the exhibition. Uh, yeah. And I, I think about that right now. So I can only imagine that you've got an artist's mind and a way of seeing the world, which is probably very unique to other people. And then you start looking into this universe at this microscopic level of this thing that really provides life to everything it touches in our body. So you start collecting these images, you're fascinated by this, you're starting to see things in a different light than you would before. How would you describe walking through your exhibit with what you've done with all these images you were able to collect? Oh, you're going to have to help me with this too, because you've walked through it. So how would I describe it? So I work in installation and site responsive installation. So the work in the gallery space, every time I put it up, it will respond to the the structure of that gallery, so the, the architecture. And I'm working with scale. So I'm thinking about the magnification of the of the blood samples. How do we implicate the viewer's body? How do we viscerally get them to understand 
the the difference in scales, the micro and macro scale, the body, blood. So I would think about that in terms of the materials that I use, the size that I I use for the images. How do I take scan electron images and make it into artwork? This is the big challenge for me that I addressed, I hope, in the show. So when you walk into the gallery space, the first thing you see is this thing called Blood Galaxy Deep Space. And the wall at the rooms is 20 feet by 10 feet. So anytime that this is shown in a new space, it's going to have a different size. So this would be the first thing that you're confronted with. And what that piece is, is what it looks like to me when I look underneath the microscope. It, it's in black and white because it's electrons, not protons, but it looked like a universe. It looked like another galaxy for me. And the substrate of this imagery is the dried plasma that you would get in the sample preparation. It's the substrate that's dried out. And then I isolated different cells from different donors samples and I made another galaxy. So it's how the interior of the body appears to be a, a, a night sky, but it's not populated with stars and, and planets, but with magnified blood cells. And for me, it's an inner space. It's a vast of the cosmos, but this is created from my own library of blood samples donated by a diverse group of people. And I wanted to convey that amazing thing that I saw looking underneath the microscope yeah. into the gallery space. And so that was my intention with that piece that hits you when you first walk into the gallery. And I feel like that's exactly what it is. And on the simplest of forms, and I mean this in the simplest way for people to be able to relate to something, it's like that show of Magic School Bus when you were a kid. And they would go into the human body and they would see things at this level that you'd never think about seeing. And when you walk through it, you feel small looking at things that are microscopic, which I think is such an interesting perspective because these cells look massive compared to you and you're seeing them from this view for the first time. And I think that's that's really eye-opening for people that may have never been exposed to their body. And do you think that there's an aspect of awe or awakening or awareness when it comes to, oh my gosh, this is how our body works. These are things that are happening inside of us all the time that they can only really understand when they see them. And when they see them in such a beautiful format, do you think that there is this sort of new understanding is created in people about their body? You know, Mike, I'm hoping that that's what happens. I'm hoping that I'm, I'm using art to expand our notion of what's happening inside the body. I, I think that's something that art can do. It's not I, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to hit somebody over the head, though I know it's a really large piece, so you're kind of immersed in it. But that is the intention of all the work in the exhibition. You know, blood is a very complex material. It's it's a politically, socially, medically, scientifically complex. It has historical significance. It has political significance. It is repulsive <laughs> to a lot of people. It's abject, and and yet it is a vital fluid. It's a vital source. And it's quite beautiful. So really, if nothing else, I hope when people see the exhibition, it takes any kind of preconceived notions or at least shakes them up a bit or makes them smile. Art is really an individual experience. And I don't know what it's going to do, to be honest. Yeah. You have so many different pieces in this exhibit, but I want to talk specifically about a few of them and I'll explain them okay. as best I can for people and then you can tell me a, a little bit more about those ones. The first ones that came to mind were when I first came in, you had two blood cells there. You had a white blood cell, which is an immune cell, which would be something that would help protect yep. your body. And then you also yep. had 
a heme, like a hemoglobin ring or a blood cell that was made of iron. And, and these are actually made of iron in the body and it is heavy. And then the blood, the white blood cell is small compared to it. And they're so vastly different. Is that part of it as well to literally explain that there's all these things floating to our body that are made of these materials or look this way that look so alien to us, but you can put your hands on them and feel them and get an appreciation for them? Exactly. That's exactly right. And so, you know, we talked about the blood galaxy deep space. Well, here's another manifestation in three-dimensional form. So yes, the white blood cell, the T cell, those are lymphocytes to protect the body against cancerous cells and bacteria and viruses. And it's really a beautiful form, I think. And, and then the red blood cell, that's solid cast iron. And the size is determined by the weight of it. So it's 9.8 pounds approximately. And that is about the weight of nine pints of blood, which is the average, you know, approximately in an average I believe it's person. six six liters um, approximately. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, of course that changes from individual to individual, but that's average. So I know you can't pick it up in this show, but it's conceptual piece, right? Like it, it's actually weighs quite a bit. And, and iron, of course, there's iron in our blood. And so to get a sense of what that weight might be. Hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. The interplay that they all have different roles, just like a community of people that all have different jobs. There's these different things in our blood that all are playing their own little part to protect or provide nutrition or oxygen or whatever. It's just so such a beautiful thing that you don't, wouldn't assume it has all these aspects. And another reason why that galaxy wall is so incredible one of the ones is really interesting. So speaking with my colleague, Jennifer, who I'll be working with for this panel that we're going to do on your exhibit, uh, was a mobile ER. And we saw things very differently. I came from a first responder background. So when I saw the mobile ER, and for people that are listening, it's a bunch of hospital gurneys that are held together in a chandelier, like a mobile. And then there are what appears to be sheets of red blood cells that are semi-transparent that the light shines through. And so for me, I had a feeling of, oh, this is trauma. This is hospital emergency. This is blood next to tables and things like this. She saw something completely different. She saw the beauty of it and the blood and the and sort of the medical world and all these different things. What was the, what was the sort of design behind that one? Because that's a very powerful piece. Yeah. As an artist, it's always great to hear two different views of the work. And you make something and you put it out there. And to be honest... I have an idea when I'm making something, I have an intention, but really the meanings conveyed between the, the work and it's very intersubjective, the work and the viewer. That work was the last work I made for the exhibition. It was made at the height of a pandemic. And it, it's an assemblage of emergency medical equipment that was donated by Ferno Canada, as a matter of fact. Mm. And um, when, I, when I was starting to make that, I was going to cut it up and weld it back together. And when I started to see how those machines were made, I thought these are just incredible, incredible equipment that have probably carried a lot of bodies and saved a lot of lives. And I didn't want to destroy them. I wanted them to the potential that they can be used again, the potential that they can save lives again. And so from my perspective, it was a bit of an apocalyptic vision because it was that time. So there was a vulnerability and a fear and the medical system was really under stress. We were under stress. And that was the piece that I made to reflect it. But that there's potential there too. You know, the, the images are kind of an explosion. The images 
are uh, blood clotting. And so when blood clots, usually that's a good thing. Yes. Um, and that piece can be taken down. It's folded up again. Everything functions to the next place. So I'm yeah. not going to give you my perspective of the next one. I want you to describe it. <laughs> Tell me what you think about it. I'll give you my perspective afterwards. This is my favorite piece in the exhibit, and that's the breath wall. Can you explain okay. that people for us? Yeah. Yes, I can. So um, the name of that piece is called Sign, and it's it's a printed piece of taffeta that is 40 feet in width and about 13 feet high. I made this piece when I was invited to Art Pace San Antonio in 2016. I was invited as an international artist in residence by Art Pace and a curator from Mass Mocha named Denise Mar Markanish. And by that time, I had just finished my residency at Dow Medical School, and I had about a collection of about 35 different individual blood samples from different people. And I, I made a, a pattern using all different kinds of samples from all the different people. And I printed it on taffeta down in San Antonio, Texas. And I made it specifically for that place to begin with, because across where this gallery was where I was going to install this work is a plasma center. And the wall that opens onto the street looks right at the plasma center where people would line up. To, to sell their blood, as a matter of fact. So I made this curtain and, and engineers were hired to build a breathing lung that was built specifically for the gallery space. It's an HVAC system that captured the air system from the gallery and would blow it out through fans at the curtain. And it was programmed to my breath. So that's the original iteration of the work. And so when people walked by the gallery space in the day and the night, they would see this breathing curtain that the breath was actually programmed to my breath. So since then, I've showed it in other places and it's reconfigured. But it's the connection of blood to, to breath to oxygen. Yep. And it, it moves. And these, if you can see it in person and it's lit from the back, I think these cells kind of float. And they're, I think it's quite beautiful and moving. Yep. And it can float in different ways depending on how the fan is. And it's really to captivate people. And when you put all the samples together of all my different donors, they're all anonymous. But another thing about the donors and the reason why I call it a universal blood sample is because a lot of the people that donated their blood, they weren't eligible to give blood, mm. either because of disease or sexual orientation or one factor or another. So I thought they're donating their blood to me. Let's make this beautiful breathing curtain and celebrate blood. So it's a kind of a poetic experience, I hope. It is. And I think that there's a couple things about it. So when you're standing there, you can stand right next to it. It's like breathing around you and it's peaceful and calm. And I think a lot of people will be at first when they think blood, they're going to think trauma. They're going to think something scary initially because it is something that seems like no one wants to see blood. But when they see this for the first time, what I see when I see that exhibit is things functioning well and calm and the beauty of like this machine working so well. That to me, that's what I think it really drew out in me was it was very peaceful and it seemed like this is a nice calm system. This is health. You know what I mean? And that's what I really liked about that that exhibit. It's just so big. You can't you can't ignore it, right? It's just so large. So that kind of brings me to another thing that you said, and that was that, you know, you've got different people with different ethnicities and sexual orientations or different backgrounds. And there's a there's an exhibit there called Notions of Blood Purity. And what do you hope yeah. to communicate about that? Because what I thought was really interesting when I look at the galaxy wall is you can't tell anything about who the person is. It's just 
cells, right? Like, is that what you're trying to convey? Yeah, I think I was thinking of community, what connects us, you know, that that there's this beautiful moving, breathing in different cells that could be yours or mine, and it doesn't really matter. It's all moving together. And they're, they're anonymous. But they're all individual samples from different people, and 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 it, and they work together. They all interact together. It works together, and so that's really what a universal blood sample is for me. I spent so much time with these samples. I, I can I know where the different samples come from because it's not a large sample. I probably altogether now have maybe forty five or fifty individuals, and the reason for that is because it's actually quite expensive to scan these these samples and prepare them and everything, and also it's it's time consuming. But I would like to continue collecting samples. But there's another work in the exhibition where I do name the individuals by their first name. And I told you earlier that I collected medical information, personal information with their permission of the individuals and they're attached to their blood sample. And those are called blood portraits. And that particular work sums up my research for the last eight years around blood because it really does go into the complexity and layered nuances that we have, the relationship with with blood and how that plays out in society and historically and socially. I want to go right into the video because I think the video right now is 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 it's a perfect time to lead into this. And the video is beautifully done because the heart rate is in the background and it's steadily increasing. But the thing that I got out of this video is it will show a picture of a cell and it will name that cell scientifically. And then the ne- and then it'll rotate through several of the pictures and come back to the same picture. But next time it shows up, it's a name of a person or an occupation or their familial status or their job or how they passed away. There's all these labels that we put on it that further classify it, but it's still the same cell it was before the original name. It's all the names, but also not all of them at the same time, depending on how we look at it. What was the goal of that for the viewer? Because I found that quite powerful to think that it's how we label things that makes them what they are, as opposed to what they really are. Right. Language shapes the way we see and think. (laughs) Absolutely. And so that video is part two of a two-part piece. So there were nine discs on a wall and the nine discs are named by the individuals. So those are part one of the blood portraits. And then part two is this video, which is projected large scale in a darkened room. So the video is structured around the same nine images that you see on the wall. And they circulate nine times through the video. And as you say, there's a beating heart. So each round of the video is titled with a single word that acts as a double entendre. So for example, the fourth round is called circulation, which begins by describing the circulation of blood within the body and the tasks and durations of the cells, but then it transitions to describing the circulation of blood as a commodity. So referencing the global trade in blood products. So that's the chapter in circulation. Um, Then there's a chapter that talks about, it's called pathology. And pathology is a word that's used in, in terms of medicine, but I'm actually referring to social pathology. So that's where you have notions of blood purity lead to blood stains. So it's pathologies that lead to another section called stains. So it's the same nine images that circle through nine times. And each time they come through, they're associated with a different meaning. And it's to show when we look at the same image through a different lens, whether it's a political, social, whether it's through medicine, whether it's through notions of circulation, it changes the way 
we think of things. And and I think we do that with each other. Notions of pure blood or blood purity or that we can tell someone's color of their skin by looking at blood. Well, that's a fallacy. When can we use science to tell the truth about something to get rid of discrimination, um, gender discrimination, racial discrimination? And when can we use science and medicine to connect us to things, right? To connect us to our body, to connect us to each other. And so I think it's a complex video. And, you know, to be honest, that's kind of sums up my eight years of, of research in that one video. So yeah. I hope people will take the time to see it from beginning to end. One that I love so much is the uh, skin flake that's in the pine box because- Okay. Because yeah, that is something that shows reverence for something. And I think that a dead skin flake tells us an awful lot about life. And maybe you could explain that for folks. And why did you decide to put it in this specific frame? Well, a, a pine box is a coffin. So that's a that's a dead skin flake. I talked about the blood project, but also existing within this exhibition is a series called Dust Disruptors. And I collected dust from bodies both alive and not alive, and scan them with the electron microscope again. So I picked up a lot of dead skin flakes, which, you know, magnified at 6,000 times. That's what you see. That's where you get relic from. So that's a dead skin flake. And the term relic is a surviving part of a revered person's body. And there's some secular and religious connotations with that. And I was kind of playing off of that. So the other thing with my work, um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, is that a lot of the work in the show had off-site exhibitions before its first iteration at Dalhousie Art Gallery. And this particular piece, Relic, before it opened at the Dalhousie Art Gallery, was put in a natural history museum. So it sat amongst stuffed animals and birds. And <laughs> and we had the pine box right beside a, a couple of displays of birds. And I'm not even sure if people realized that that was a dead skin flake, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so it's this back and forth between what is our relationship in the world? What are the different cycles that the body has? And how does that relate to the natural world? I talk about the disconnection to our bodies, but to other people and also to other systems in the world mm -hmm. and other micro uh, microorganisms and other organisms. I know through my research, we have more in common with other systems than we're aware of. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, yeah, there's so many links to that in biology. And I think that's so interesting because a dead skin flake was once us and it was once alive and doing all sorts of fun stuff that we call our life. And then all of a sudden now it's it's considered dust. And we realize how transient that is and that our body is constantly regenerating new parts and pieces all the time, that we're a different human being every year or so. So I think that's just a fascinating piece. I, I love that from, from my science hat. So hopefully people are going to check this exhibit out. It's absolutely incredible. It's fascinating. It's eye-opening. If somebody goes through there, they're going to see beautiful artwork, but what do you hope that they're going to walk away from that's going to change their perception, in particular when it comes to health? Um, I hope that they'll feel more curiosity about the body. It'll shift the way they think about the body, that there'll be an awe moment or multiple moments. Maybe they'll have a different relationship to blood. Maybe they'll have a different relationship to dust. I mean... Maybe they'll look up, they'll be curious about the science and the medicine of some of these things. You know, I, I, I think that's all I can hope is that it stimulates uh, a curiosity um, 
that on a bigger picture, I, I think art art does support health. We we talk a lot about what does art do, and I think it's not always easy to articulate what it does or why it does it. It can provide a space of silence. It can provide curiosity. It can make you feel contemplative. It can give you empathy. It can give compassion. These are feelings. It's affective. That that's what I think it does. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It provides comfort. No one no one cares about poetry till they have their broken heart, right? And then they start to realize this is why it's there. I'm not alone. I've had this experience. Or when they see something like your process of dealing with your mother's cancer and then turning it into something that's beautiful that helps explain the body and what's happening. That's very cathartic as well, I'm sure, for you as an artist. And there's there's one question I always ask people whenever I get a chance, and I'd love to hear your definition of it. And that is, if you were to describe the word health, what does that mean to you? So for me, health is this kind of holistic, mental, physical, social, spiritual sense of wellness. And for me individually, it's connected to my creativity. I think those things are dependent on our basic needs. So they have to be in place. I think health is connection to other people. It's connection to nature. And I think it's these things that make me healthy. Yeah, I could agree with that. And if there's people that are out there that are aspiring artists and they may be scared to be creative because they're afraid of something, what would your what would your advice be to them and, and how can it help them in their life, whatever they're dealing with as an outlet for, for something? I, I like what you said about it being comfort. And I think that's really what it is. When I was out doing my research, I came across prescription for art or prescription for health. I don't know if you're aware of this in Montreal. The Musée de Beaux-Arts has a pilot project with doctors in Montreal where they prescribe free entrances to the Musée de Beaux-Arts. So people and get a prescription from their doctor to go to the art gallery. And I think, obviously, I, I, I believe that art gives us something very, very valuable. And I'm not doing evidence-based research right now. I'm, I'm making art. But I think people have to find out for themselves what their relationship for art could be. And I think you can start by going to a museum. You can start by looking for things online. But I think start small in developing a relationship to art. And um, I think you'll feel the benefits from it. Yeah. And if there's any culture I mean, that appreciates art, Newfoundland and Labrador is known for its arts, whether that be music or painting and drawing or storytelling or even comedy, things like this. These are all aspects of expression that we have at our fingertips here. And, and I think that they're ingrained into our culture. I think you're right. And I think they're ingrained to like most cultures, don't you think? And I, I know you have a rich, rich culture in Newfoundland. And it's been a pleasure to show at the rooms. And it was my first visit there. So why don't you tell folks how they can go check out the exhibit, how long it's going to be there, all the details they need to know. Right. The, sh the show was curated by Susan Gibson Garvey, who wrote a fantastic exhibition catalog for it. And we collaborated conceptually along the way, and we had lots of conversations. And if you're able to look at the exhibition catalog and all the texts that are scattered throughout the exhibition, those that's Susie's work. I mean, and she's a she's a poet. You know, she's a fantastic writer. So the exhibition is up until April 28th. And if you get a chance, please see it. And I have a website, KimMorgan.ca is my website. And I think the exhibition catalog, which is blood, blood and breath, skin and dust. Um, I believe it can be purchased from the rooms, but it also 
it, it can be purchased online from the King's University bookstore. So, and I have a copy right here in yeah. front of me, and it's absolutely beautiful. It's a great conversation piece, and I was looking through it at length prior to our interview. I just want to say thank you so much, number one, for showing your exhibit here and giving this to our to our public, but also taking the time and sharing, you know, something that's obviously extremely important to you and, and a, an amazing piece of work. So thank you so much for for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me today. It's been a pleasure. I want to thank Professor Morgan for joining us today. It's been a really interesting conversation. We've gained valuable insights into the unique intersection of art and science through Kim's exhibit, Blood and Breath and Skin and Dust, especially the ways in which it can illuminate aspects of our health and deepen our understanding of the human body. For those of you interested in learning more, I highly recommend you check out her exhibit that's currently at the rooms. You can also learn more about her work at her website, kimmorganart.com. She offers an incredible look into the collaborative potential between art and science, exploring the beauty and complexity of our physical existence. Well, that's our show today. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall. We'll see you back here next week for another episode of The Wall Show on your VOCM.